Get ready for some serious sports talk. I'm speaking of playoff matchups, who you'd like to see, what the L.A. teams have. That coming up with ESPN's George Sedano giving the serious sports talk. Playoff matchups. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga. Make sure to let others find the podcast as well. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Five-star reviews, that's all I ask of you. It's a one-up, one-down week for Utah, and we are halfway through the bubble experiment. By next show, two games left. This, the front end of a back-to-back, you'll see San Antonio at 11 o'clock Mountain Time, and then tomorrow, Denver at 1.30. The big takeaway that I have out of these two games, it's got to be the depth. How long is this Quinn Snyder bench going to be? Will it extend to Emmanuel Moutier or do Rajon Tucker? Will Juwan Morgan get a couple minutes? What's the depth going to look like? The starters and the league chatter is that the bench is the problem. The second unit needs to figure it out, and it does. We just saw it against the Lakers and to some extent against Memphis. When the starters came back, they roared. 22-1 to run. Joe Ingles unlocked and unleashed. He launches 11 three-pointers, something that he only done once during the season. He launched 12 against Miami. Joe's shooting, it's as impactful as his playmaking. They need him for that. But the starters are a plus 40 in 60 minutes. They came into the bubble plus 8 in 14 According to the advanced metrics, you're looking at cleaning the glass. The lineup's a plus 31. They're working. It's when they go to the reserves that things bottom out, and it's due to inconsistent shooting. Coming in, Utah was one of the top shooting teams in the entire league, and during the bubble, they're around 19. The offense has become the question, and they want to go out and run launch a bunch of threes, play with tempo. As the half-court offense was one of the strengths before quarantine, not so much now that they've gotten in the bubble. I'll be interested to see how, without four starters, Utah looks against San Antonio. Might be giving them a gift because they're fighting for that play-in tournament. And under ordinary circumstances, the Jazz might be chasing a higher seed. They'd want home-court advantage, but it's all neutral. So there's more need to find cohesion than seeding as far as what you're chasing. As far as news, before we head to George Sedano, Ingles Insight is back for Season 2. This one might be a little more abbreviated, but it's still out there. And it's with Renee, Joe, and Aaron. They discuss life inside and outside of the bubble. Renee's perspective of being the matriarch of the family without Joe there. They got into a routine where for a couple of months, Joe wasn't going anywhere. No flights to catch, wasn't playing. No, he was in one place with his children. Now that's broken up. How's that affect the family? You can listen to it on Ingles Insight. Just search it wherever you found this podcast. And make sure to drop a review for that show as well. Five stars. Okay, let's get to George Sedano. I'm serious. We went into... Who would be the best matchup for the Jazz? Which 
will be getting most of the oxygen and the conversation as it's the latest storyline to turn. He paints a more optimistic picture of Utah and Houston if they were to meet in the playoffs. I don't know if they want to play the Rockets. I don't think that that's one matchup that you want to chase because they're so specific in the way that they play. They destroy the math. Trying to replicate that in a strategy session would be supremely difficult. And Harden has just been lethal against the Jazz. But hear from George. He also hosts a radio show in Los Angeles, so you'll hear a lot of Los Angeles discussion, talking Clippers and Lakers on the front end. And the real reason for that is if Utah gets past the first round, they're running into an L.A. team. Depending on which side of the bracket that they're on, if they're in the 4-5, hello LeBron, and if they're not, hello Kawhi. So those two teams are impactful, and it's my podcast. I get to talk about the L.A. squads. Looking a little nationally, a little broader, we'll put the magnifying glass back on the Utah Jazz next show, but right now, please enjoy ESPN's George Sedano. As people are selling stock in the Lakers after a couple defeats, is this true, George? Well, I don't know about fans per se, but there's plenty of people in the media selling Lakers stock right now. And I feel like it's just silly because again, there's going to be teams that are going to take the bubble environment and treat it differently than others, right? And look, there's no denying that they haven't been good, okay? Like they have been really bad. As a matter of fact, they just had their worst offensive output of the entire season against Oklahoma City. Um, and they've gone from being the best field goal percentage team to the worst in their small sample in the bubble. Uh, they've gone from a team that wasn't already a good three-point shooting team at 35%, but at least something you had to respect to 25%, right? They've been bad at uh, shooting free throws even. Uh, like All of it has just been bad. LeBron has had a true shooting percentage of under 50%, which is unheard of. But here's the thing. I feel like everyone is just overreacting to a very small sample size. <laughs> now, granted, the circumstances are different. And LeBron even alluded to that yesterday in the post game that, look, I've never dealt with uh, anything like this, you know, because the question was asked by Mike Trudell, the Lakers sideline reporter in the post game about whether, you know, how he handles a situation like this being the one seed and kind of trying to figure out rest versus rust, you know what I mean? And, uh, as they get ready for the playoffs. And he just said, look, no one's ever dealt with this. Like, I, I've never dealt with this, and no one seems to have. So we're all in uncharted waters, basically. But, look, while he's not wrong, I'm not going to bet against LeBron James, okay? It's been two years since he's been in the playoffs. Clearly, he knows his body very well. And taking the night off against the Rockets, I think, seems to be a smart thing. And it, it's clear that they're – they're going to take the approach of we're going to experiment with guys on the roster at the moment and then get LeBron ramped up properly to get him ready once the playoffs begin. But, yeah, man, I'm hearing all sorts of crazy things, like people trying to twist themselves into pretzels, saying that the Blazers are going to beat them in the first round. Look, the Blazers are a real opponent, okay? It's not the Pelicans. It's not the Grizzlies. They would sweep those teams. The Blazers is a real series, okay? There will be real adjustments to be made. Uh, certainly they're at full strength. They're feeling themselves as they should. They were in the Western Conference Finals last year, okay? But they're not a better team than the Lakers. 
They don't, for as many big men as they have, none of them can match up with Anthony Davis. They don't have a matchup for LeBron. And yeah, maybe the Lakers don't have a matchup for CJ and Dame either. But it just feels like everyone all of a sudden uh, is acting like this Lakers ship is sinking just because of a four-game sample size in Orlando. Well, and, and the LeBron you're getting now, it's not going to be the LeBron that we get once those playoffs hit, hit. You mentioned playoff LeBron. We've seen him down 3-1. We've, we've seen these moments where he's risen to the occasion. The selling might be a little too dramatic. Is there concern about AD going from that 42-point game against the Jazz to the nine against OKC? Yeah, look, I think that there's some concern just about – and I hate doing this stuff because it feels so cliched, right? When you say that a guy hasn't – you haven't seen him do it, so you don't know if he can do it, right? And, look, we do that thing all the time. Hell, we did it with LeBron, okay, at one point. We were like, you know, people out there, and I won't name names, would say things like he didn't have the clutch gene or whatever the hell that meant. Um so Anthony Davis has not had playoff success. He doesn't have a resume, right? Like he has one series where they defeated the Portland Trailblazers, interestingly enough. And he's been fantastic from a production standpoint, even in losses, you know, in his career against the Warriors or whoever they've faced. But there is a feeling of the stage is different. And yeah, I think there is something to that. Do I think it's going to be the overriding reason as to whether Anthony Davis has success in the playoffs or not? No, absolutely not. Anthony Davis's own personality uh, will be able to handle that in a specific way. And if he can understand that sometimes in the playoffs, because things don't go as planned, that he may need to be able to be, or he may need to grab the steering wheel a little bit and say to LeBron, hey, you need to ride me because I'm the mismatch that no one has a matchup for in this particular series, then you got to do that. And LeBron is smart enough to do that too. So I think that particularly like if you get to a matchup against Houston or the Clippers, right? They don't have a matchup for Anthony Davis, but is it concerning that Anthony Davis is output versus the Clippers in the fourth quarter in about 26 or 27 minutes has been eight points in a total of four games? Yeah, it's a little concerning because of the passive nature of his personality. But I think that that's going to be on him and LeBron and Vogel to put him in the best positions to succeed. And him himself obviously saying, hey, I got to take the proverbial bull by the horns here and and create opportunities for myself, demand the ball. Uh, Kenny Smith told a great story once on Turner on TNT about – Akeem Olajuwon, who was as mild-mannered a superstar as we had in this sport and arguably one of the greatest ever, too. Um, Where there was a game in the playoffs, if I recall correctly, where he only had taken four shots in the first half. And Akeem, Mr. Mild-mannered, went into the locker room and started cursing everyone out, telling them, hey, you got to get me the damn ball. And and I think Anthony Davis, who is a little mild-mannered like Akeem in that way from a personality standpoint, needs to kind of have some of those moments. There should be no reasons that in the two wins that the Lakers have had in the bubble that he's got 47 shots up, and in the two losses combined, he's only taken 18 shots. So I think that some of it lies on him. Some of it lies on LeBron getting him the ball in the right places and kind of motivating him as well. And the same goes for Frank Vogel for those same reasons. What's the read on that matchup with the Clippers? Because those are the two contenders that everybody's looking at along with – the Rockets and with nobody to match up with AD, 
while the Clippers, they seem to have a really good roster, they don't have the, those necessary pieces to match up with the real star guys on the Lakers. Yeah, look, I think the Clippers are the deepest team in the NBA. I know people may argue Milwaukee or whatever, maybe even Toronto, but I think when you include the star power aspect of it, of Kawhi and Paul George, plus the depth that you have, I mean, you literally have two six men of the year candidates in Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams. Hell, the award should probably be named after Lou at this point. But they've got a lot of depth, right? But where they don't have a ton of depth, or at least depth that they count on, is in the front line, right? They just added Joakim Noah. And look, I'm a huge Joakim Noah fan. But, you know, Joakim Noah in 2020 is not Joakim Noah of 2013 or 2014, right? So I think that you have to kind of take that into consideration. Evita Zubac is a really nice young prospect. And they're really good defensively when he's on the floor. But there's a reason that he only plays about 17 or 18 minutes a night, right? And Montrez Harrell has been fantastic offensively and has been way improved defensively, particularly in the restricted area. But I don't see him as a guy who can single up on Anthony Davis anywhere, really, regardless of the positioning on the floor. So to me, that matchup is about Anthony Davis, that that's what it's going to come down to. LeBron is going to have to deal with Paul George and Kawhi, who may be the two best players in the sport as far as equipped to be uh, guys to try to slow down LeBron James. And look, I mentioned it earlier. He's shooting 37% against the Clippers in those four games uh, against them in the regular season. And there's a reason for that. And it's those two guys that I mentioned, right? Do I think LeBron will figure it out to some extent and not shoot 37%? Yes, of course. You know, it's not like LeBron hasn't faced uh, other great defenders in a individual series before that he may have struggled against in a regular season stretch. The Warriors are a perfect example. Granted, the Warriors, in theory, wiped the floor with the Cavs, but LeBron was still pretty awesome in all those series individually. Even that last one, let's not forget, you know, going up against that quartet of Durant, Iguodala, Clay, and Draymond being thrown at LeBron. LeBron went for 50 in that game one of the 2018 finals, and had it not been for J.R. Smith not knowing the time uh, and the score, probably would have stolen game one on uh, Golden State's home floor. So, you know, I'm not saying the series outcome would have been different, but it certainly would have been more interesting at that particular point. So, again, not worried as much about LeBron at least figuring it out to an extent. To me, it's about Anthony Davis. To me, it's also about the others, like Shaq likes to refer to them as. You know, are you going to get the effort you need from that third option every single night? And it doesn't have to be the same guy for the Lakers. It could be uh, Kyle Kuzma one night. It could be Danny Green, who's been terrible in the bubble another night. Uh, You know, there can be random guys. Dwight Howard has had big moments for them during the season. And, you know, who would have thought that in 2020, right? That Dwight Howard would be having big moments for the Lakers in 2020. But, you know, the Clippers formula is pretty simple. It's Kawhi and it's Paul George, right? When those two guys are on the floor, their net rating is like plus 12 or something like that. It is pretty insane. Uh, Even when it's just Kawhi on the floor, their net rating is like plus 11. And when it's just Paul George, it's only like plus 2.2, if I recall correctly, the last time I looked it up. So Kawhi is, is everything. And of course, their second unit, which is really not a second unit, in Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, who play 30-plus minutes a night, 
And, you know, they're incredible too. So they come at you in waves. Um, but I just still think that having that equalizer in Anthony Davis, if he's going to put, for lack of a better phrase, his big boy pants on and, and really understand the, the moment and the gravity of the moment and, and just how enormous this moment can be for him and the Lakers franchise and LeBron and all their legacies, if he does that and he dominates, I just think it's really hard for the Lakers to lose any series, let alone that particular series. But, look, I'm not going to get it twisted. That thing, is a, that thing has got seven-game series written all over it. Call me one of the uh, Syracuse sports media members who may trust Dion Waiters a little too much, but uh, <laughs> what do you make of, of those others, of Dion, of JR, as guys that could potentially have moments when it comes to playoff time? Look, we've seen strange things happen in the playoffs over a series where a random dude has these big moments. It happens pretty much in every series, right? And do I believe Dion Waiters is capable of it? His skill set says yes. His resume says no, okay? And I think that's the, the part of this, right? Like, he's been on four teams, I believe, in six years or whatever it's been. There's a reason for that, right? There is – he's just a guy that's so inconsistent from a basketball standpoint, let alone kind of some of the personality quirks, right? And he's capable. He's a good defender. He can take pretty much anyone off the dribble. His shot selection, though, is something you question. And you saw the Jekyll and Hyde nature just in that game against Oklahoma City, where he was 0 of 6 to start and finished 5 of 13. He literally hit the backboard on a shot, like the side of the backboard on a corner three, and also airballed a layup in transition with LeBron running the wing uh, and wide open to his right. And you could just see LeBron's disgust when he didn't get the ball at that particular point. So that Dion Waiters is still there, right? For as good as he had played up to that point in the bubble and even in the scrimmages, that guy is still there, and that's why I don't trust him. JR has not played well in the bubble. He's had one decent scrimmage where he scored, uh, well, more than decent. He had 21 points in that one game. But I still know that he knows his role. And J.R. Smith, much like we were talking about Dion can, can, you know, has this irrational confidence. He can get hot and he can hit five or six threes in a game. And he's got that kind of playoff experience, even though I was lamenting his lack of understanding of the score and the time uh, in the 2018 finals. And, and he's played with LeBron longer than five minutes that Dion waiters played in 2014 before LeBron jettisoned him uh, off the Cavaliers in his return in 2014. So yeah, I, I trust JR a little bit. I, I don't trust JR, uh, Dion as much, even though his skill set should say I should. I trust that Danny Green will figure it out. We saw that happen last year during the playoffs where he was up and down. And then in the games that mattered in the finals, he hit a ton of threes. So he had struggled in the conference finals, but found his footing late in that conference finals and into the NBA finals. And I do think Kyle Kuzma can be a, a factor here. And I have been all over the map on Kyle Kuzma for this reason, inconsistency. And I know it's tough for a 23-year-old kid to play with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and go from being the guy who was high usage, right, and taking a ton of shots and now being a guy that has to kind of be a catch-and-shoot player 
right, when he's on the floor with those guys. But it's funny because when he's on the floor with those guys, yes, his usage goes way, way down, but his three-point percentage goes way up than when he's not on the floor with those guys. When he's not on the floor with LeBron and AD, he shoots 25% from three. When he's on the floor with those guys, he shoots 35% from three and gets easy looks at the rim, which he, which he gets looks at the rim when he's not on the floor with those guys, but they're not anywhere near as easy as the looks he gets in general when he's on the floor with those guys. And because he started the season a little behind the eight ball from an injury perspective, if you remember, he, he, um, he had the injury with Team USA wasn't able to really get involved from a training camp perspective. So this restart perhaps could be beneficial to him in that regard. But he's probably the guy that they could point to offensively that should allow them to have a a third person that they can lean on at least maybe a little more than the rest of that particular roster. Well, I'm sure he's seeing what – Donovan and Jason Tatum are doing guys from his class and he's not in that role. He's not being asked to be the number one guy Mm -hmm. on a team. And that's something that he has to consider when he's, he's on a team that's threatening for a championship uh, as opposed to those two guys. No question about it. Right. Ego plays a factor in all this stuff, particularly when you're talking about young guys who are out there trying to prove themselves. Number one, just from a basketball perspective. And let's face it, also trying to get paid, right? Like that's part of this equation too. So you're right. It, 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 that's why I alluded to it earlier. It's just not easy at 23 years old to go from what he was doing on a bad team to try to insert himself on this team that is in theory ready-made to try to win a championship. So uh, I do think all that factors in. Ego plays a huge role in this. He's, he's saying the right things. Um, will he do the right things? Will he make the back cuts, right, that will get him those easy looks? Will he rebound the ball if the shot isn't falling? Will he throw himself even further into his defensive coverages, which he's done a better job of here in the bubble than he had even during the regular season? All those are things, by the way, that will get him paid, perhaps maybe not the way he was expecting a year or two ago because he was expecting to be a number one option, but still will take care of him financially for a long time to come. Jazz have the Nuggets on Saturday. When we talk about the contenders, are we overlooking Denver in that group as someone that could jump up and and challenge the LA teams? So I don't view them in the same class just yet. I think, though, we're starting to see it now. I have been a big proponent of Michael Porter Jr., okay, whether it's on my radio show, whether it's on the jump, whether it's anywhere we've been, right? Even when I've done their games, I've done a lot of Michael Porter Jr. campaigning uh, in regards to how good he is. Because offensively, he's incredible. And we've seen the last two games going for over 30 and double-digit rebounds. This guy scores with ease, okay, and rebounds with ease. Look, is he good on defense? No, okay? And I know if you're Michael Malone that that's a big part of it, particularly with young players. I know that these veteran coaches, they struggle with that stuff. But right now, he's had no choice because they've been missing guys. And you're starting to see him flourish in those situations with more minutes. And I just think that every team in the NBA is flawed to some extent, right? Could you hide him on defense? I think so. 
I think it's possible because I think the risk is worth the reward because of what he's capable of doing on the offensive end uh, and what he's what he does from a rebounding perspective. So to me, Denver will become elite and a true championship contender when Michael Porter Jr. can become that number one scoring option. We all know Nikola Jokic is the best player on the team, but they need a guy on the wing. And good Lord, he's 6'10", for God's sake, right? I mean, he's got the body. He's built like an Adonis. And again, does it with ease. If he can be that guy, and I don't know if he's capable of doing that right now, uh, even though we've seen him progress, certainly. I think that they are certainly coming and will certainly be a force to reckon with for a long time if that's the case, because it slots guys in to the proper role. It makes Jokic the best overall player and clearly the best facilitator on the team and, and a guy that really can do everything. Porter into the number one scoring role, right? And Jamal Murray as kind of maybe that clutch time guy and, and kind of that third option on the team. And they'll always be good on defense with Malone as their head coach. Good enough, I think, that they will be able to contend for a long time. So um, I'm not there just yet, but I have been very high on Denver for a long time. And it appears they're catching that same thing that AD is, where we haven't seen them do it yet. But they, they did push Portland last year, a team that did, mm-hmm. did end up in that Western Conference final. So we'll see that. Rockets are endlessly interesting to me because they look like a Washington State uh, Mike Leach team. How do you prepare for a squad that's throwing up 63s a game? Yeah. Uh, it's outrageous what they're doing. Are they one matchup that if you're looking from a Jazz perspective or anyone else in the, in the West that, that could concern you? They do. They definitely concern me. I've been repeating this, too, for the entirety of the season. Puncher's chance. I, give, I don't think they're better than the Clippers. I don't think they're better than the Lakers. But I give them a puncher's chance because of how unorthodox they are, right? You alluded to the 63s. I mean, they have not – they haven't doubled and tripled down. They've, like, quadrupled yeah. down on what they're doing now or you know I mean they literally are five out I mean Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker are playing center for them and you know initially when they went to that they had uh it paid dividends and then it started to kind of wear down on them towards the end of the initial portion of the regular season but I think the four-month layoff is a good thing for them because Harden isn't as worn down. Russ seems to be back kind of in the fold again. And, you know, we, know, we didn't know what the, uh, his health situation would be since he was dealing with COVID, right? Covington looks fresh. Poor P.J. Tucker, man. Like, uh, that guy hustles as much as anyone in the league. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like he's always just battling. And the other night I was watching them play against Portland, and his three-point shot from the corner – wasn't falling. And that's his bread and butter, right, on offense is, is hitting that corner three. And, of course, because he's so worn down, man. You know what I mean? Like, the Blazers throw out Nurkic and Whiteside and Zach Collins at you. And, like, poor P.J. Tucker. Like, I was just out there and I felt awful for him. But, yeah, look, when you have two guys who are top 15 players and you're going to throw up that many threes, the math is in your favor, right, on most nights. And you're going to give yourself at least a puncher's chance to defeat any team, let alone the top teams. So if I'm the Jazz, if I'm the Lakers, if I'm the Clippers, I'm trying to avoid the the Nuggets, right? Like, I'm trying to avoid the Rockets at all costs. 
you, we were able to see the, the Jazz play the Lakers on Monday. What was your read on Utah uh, just from here and from just talking to everybody around the team? It's that second unit that needs to get better. If you're looking at the playoffs, Quinn Snyder may have to turn into Tom Thibodeau with his starting lineup and just run them into the ground because that's where the net rating's positive. When it goes to that depth, that's where things a little bit fall off. Yeah, yeah, there's no question, right? Like, you look at them and what they're doing out there, and, yeah, the, the lineup, the starting lineup with, with O'Neal in there, uh, I think it's uh, almost plus 30, right, in that range, right? Yeah. I mean, they've been fantastic. Um, but the depth isn't there. Uh, although they do have the, the one lineup that, that has, has paid some dividends in a decent amount of minutes, um, it's basically Conley and Ingles and um, with Clarkson, Niang, and Bradley. And that, that bench unit has worked out okay for them. Um, but you're right. There is a, a steep drop-off, right, once you go from that starting group. And I think that, look, Quinn is a great coach, okay? Quinn is an innovative coach. I think he has squeezed a lot out of this team over the last couple of years. And I think that there are certain teams that – they are peaking during the regular season. And some teams have another gear, right? Like we were just talking about with LeBron. And I think the Clippers have that extra gear. I think the Rockets could have that extra gear. I don't know if Denver does. Um, I don't know if this iteration of the Jazz does. I would have liked to have seen them with a healthy Bogdanovich and seen what that would have looked like because I think that maybe they were in that category. Um, I, I would, again, I would be curious to see how it would have looked because last season I would have said, no, they didn't have that gear. Um, but I was, I was genuinely curious to see what they would have looked like with Bogdanovich. Look, the Lakers are just a bad matchup for them, right? Like we've seen that it, it's been illustrated numerous times. Anthony Davis licks his chops when he sees Rudy Gobert, um, because he brings him outside, you know, Rudy is, I think the most impactful big in the NBA, but when you start to get him further and further away from the paint, he becomes a little less impactful, right? It's a little bit of no man's land for him, especially with a guy like Anthony Davis who can, can shoot the three ball and, and look, his numbers from three are deceiving, right? I think they're like, it's around like 34, 35% overall, but it's wild. Cause you know, we can do this now with the numbers when he's, his feet are literally on the tippy toes of the three-point line, he's close. He's above 40% from that particular position. Like, it's wild. It's literally if he takes just a half step back or, like, a few inches back that it drops drastically. So it just becomes a real challenge for Rudy, and, and they're not an ideal matchup for them. Um, I do think that, look, the Rockets aren't a great matchup for anyone, as I mentioned. I'd be afraid. But I think the Jazz have shown a propensity um, to be able to, uh, at least because they've played them so many times, right? Like they kind of know what's coming. So it's not like anything is going to surprise them, even with this ultra small ball lineup that they've got out there, right? Like they haven't had a ton of success necessarily uh, against them uh, historically, but or in recent history. But I do believe that the, at least the familiarity could help them. Um, you know, look, I, I think the perfect matchup for the Jazz is OKC. And, and OKC is not clearly not the same OKC that we've seen in previous, uh, you know, iterations uh, with Russ or with PG2 there. I mean, look, Chris Paul is a thinking man's player, okay? 
he is in control every step of the way. Um, they don't really run a lot. They're very methodical. They basically carve you up, right? And, and they can run if they want to. And Chris is really crafty at, at what he does. And, and look, I, I've been a, I'm a big Chris Paul guy in, in general. But this year, if I had a vote, and I voted on ESPN.com, it's not an official vote. I actually voted CP my third in my MVP race. Um, behind LeBron and, and Giannis. Like, I had him that high up my board because OKC was supposed to be a 33-win team by most estimations this particular season, whether you were using analytics or Vegas as your formula. Um, but ultimately, I think, kind of like what I was referencing earlier, I think there are certain teams that are revving, you know, their engines, you know, as, as much as they can in the regular season and they, they, they don't have that extra gear. They can't downshift and then, you know, go back up and give you that extra gear. And I think OKC is in that category. So because of that, I think that the best potential matchup for the Jazz would be an OKC series. So you're not buying shares in, uh, in the Thunder as it comes to the playoffs? No, no, no. Look, do I think they're going to be a problem for someone in the first round? Yes. Do I think it's likely they win a first-round series? No. Um, I mean, it's possible. I'm not ruling it out. Um, I actually think a Jazz-OKC matchup, you know, the Jazz in their current form and the OKC team now, I actually think is a really good series. Like, it's a great matchup. I think it probably goes the distance. But um, I, I think I, I would – if I had to make a pick, I'd probably still pick the Jazz in seven in a series like that. Okay. We'll get you out on this as uh... – we have George Sedano on utahjazz.com. As this team is built, it was scaled for two years after last offseason where the Jazz acquired Boyan, Bogdanovich, and Mike Conley. What do you make of the nucleus that they have with Donovan and Rudy alongside it for a next season if we get past bubble life and into a world where the NBA continues? Um, that's an interesting question. So, um, I still think LeBron will be a top five player next year. Uh, and obviously Anthony Davis will be too, right? So you've got them, you've got the Clippers. Those guys obviously are going to still be really good. Although they could lose Harold, right? So, you know, they're going to go as far as those top two guys take them, but Harold is an important component, right? So we'll just kind of leave that out there knowing that he may or may not be back, right? I would probably still give them the edge because they're so top heavy. Um, then after that, a lot of it depends on what Denver does, what we were referring to with Michael Porter Jr. Is he able to take that next step, right? Where he can consistently play 30 plus minutes a night and be the number one scoring option for them. Uh, look, just because we're seeing it in a small sample size doesn't mean that he can do it over 82. So I would, fa I, I would probably put the jazz in that third place position um in in there with denver um even though i probably would give them a slight edge over denver uh if they're at full strength and and houston you know with the understanding that russ and harden will be together right like the understanding that yeah. they'll still be together and that they can put the pieces around them uh that will work um so yeah i have them in kind of that second tier right um with houston and Denver. Like, I think that they're that next group 
uh, of teams in the West. So like a second wave. And I don't know if the Mavs are there yet. Like I still need to see more from Porzingis, particularly with Luka, because Porzingis played really well when Luka was out in February. Remember, he, he busted his ankle and he was out for a couple of weeks. Porzingis had an amazing stretch in that time. Um, but when he's on the floor with Luca, it hasn't looked great. And I guess that, you know, I, I'm trying to think about Portland, right? Like if they're fully healthy, I'm trying to think. Whiteside won't be there, but Nurkic and Collins will. Yeah, I guess Portland is also in that kind of second tier group. Um, you know, Dallas isn't there yet. I put Dallas in kind of like a third tier uh, group in the Western Conference. So Lakers, Clippers at the top. Nuggets, Jazz, Rockets, and maybe Portland in that second tier. And then you got Dallas, I think, in a clear-cut third tier. Um, and then there's a bunch of those young teams, right? And what are the Warriors going to look like, right? Like, I don't know. Um, I, I would probably right now, not knowing what, what those guys are going to look like on the other side of 30, the Warriors, that is, I, I would be a little hesitant to put them in the second tier just yet. Um, I need to see what the roster looks like and what those guys look like post-injury and on the other side of 30, which they all will be. Um, but, yeah, I think the Jazz in that second group. Well, the Western Conference, for at least the time that the Jazz have Donovan Rudy, it'll be definitely competitive at the very least. He is of ESPN. You can catch him on the jump. And – when they're not in a bubble on the sidelines for ESPN, he's George Sedano. Thank you so much for taking the time. You got it, bud. Anytime. Stay healthy and stay safe. You and your audience.